Lord, we come before you and we want to lay anything that is distracting us from this moment before you. Lord, we want to ask by your spirit that you would speak and that you would help us to listen because we don't always know how well to listen. You would help us to know how to lean our hearts and where we would need to lean and where do we need to go to be open and receptive to your grace and love this morning, but also the pushing of your spirit, the pushing of your spirit and what it calls us to do in this moment because your word goes out and it does not return void. So Lord, I just pray that you would prompt us in your mercy towards what you would have us do, who you would have us be as those called out by your love, grace, and refuge. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth this morning be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. I, um, you know, we've had a good time of connection just a second ago, and then we had a great update from our, our family here with us in this ministry of refugees, but those words of that prayer, Christy, are still very much with me. I don't think in my heart I've really moved past them. Because when you stare deep into the darkness of the world, you realize how much we need a God who saves. How much we need a God who brings rescue and hope. And at times we shift away from it very quickly and we cannot do that. It dismisses the pain that is very real in the world, but it also downplays the goodness of God. And what he's doing in our midst and in this world. And I, 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 beginning this message, as I mentioned at the beginning of the worship service, I've been thinking about this theme of refuge. And for me, I felt led to talk about how I grew up. And I don't even know if it applies anymore. Because the, I, for me, I, I think about the fact that I felt so blessed to, to grow up in a home where I felt like I was so blessed to find my needs met, to feel loved, and to experience that love early. But that is not how everyone grows up in the world. That is not what people experience. People, in, by God's grace, many of us do have that experience. But when you grow up in home, many of us don't experience refuge growing up, don't know what that safety is like. And then I think about this past year as my wife and I and our family, we moved to Canada and we came and a few weeks in coming, we all, everything changed as it did for all of us. But our home became a refuge because we couldn't go anywhere else. I don't know how many of you was it that way, where your home became a refuge. In some way, it became this sanctuary where you could lean in to whatever God has for you in this moment, bound together in four walls. And however limiting that might feel, it was a refuge of sorts. And it's this natural inclination we have to create safety and security around us that we can be open to love and blessing. But not everybody was able to do that this past year. People were in homes where they did not feel safe. People were dealing with circumstances all around the world, more of what they did not have versus seeing what they had. That was very difficult. And then we're on this journey in this book of Joshua, which is, have all these unique sort of, unique invitations that we've been leaning into the idea of the series, People of Promise, you heard Holly use that language in the reading and response we had, that God's calling us to be people of promise. What you read in this story, in this book, is what we say yes to in Jesus. 
that he's called us to be people of promise. But we have to ask ourselves these questions every single step of the way. Okay, well, how do I take hold of God's promises for me? How do I take hold of my, that, that, this promise he's given to people throughout age to age? And how do I say yes to this for me? Where we are in this book, as Wendy just read for us, is that rest has been given on all sides. And every promise has been kept. If you heard that in the last verse, every promise has been kept. But there is this tension because we know, if you've been reading the scripture, the Bible for a long time, we know that it does not always stay at this point where rest remains because the rest becomes undone. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's unfaithfulness. Rest becomes undone. Last week, I, we read a lot of sections through the land allotments, which was quite a fun journey, I thought, but it was a lot. But in, woven in that is this theme I don't want us to miss. The land here in the book and in our world is become undone by sin, by brokenness, by the fallenness, by evil. And there is a renewal act happening in Joshua, just as what God is doing in a much bigger context of time. It's a renewal act that's happening of the Garden of Eden. That God is recreating creation and his people in it for the purposes of which he might be fully united with them. That the evil would be removed. And even when the Israelites receive this land back and say, take the land, make it dedicated completely to the Lord, there is this invitation to renew the land because it needs healing. You know, in Joshua, they're given the instructions to remove all the people in the land because these people are given over to evil. It's devoted to destruction. It's beyond repair. And so God says, no, we need to remove this land and start from scratch. And this is where you will start that journey of finding communion with me. That is not always what God says to every people in all of time. But in Joshua, that's what he said specifically in this book. And so the proposition for us is I look at these two movements. We have Joshua chapter 20 and Joshua chapter 21. There's two things that I want us to reflect on, not land allotments as much. It's what the Levites inherited from God, which was different than the other tribes. Levites were one of the 12 tribes. And then the other thing is I want to reflect on this designation of cities of refuge, which I'll probably spend more time on. Because I think cities of refuge and this idea of setting apart cities is to help us understand a, big, a, big, a bigger biblical theme of what refuge men means for God's people and for God's world. Are you with me? I've just said a lot of things, but I like to just take a moment to say, I want to be present with you and reflecting on what God has to say for us. And I don't want us to lose sight of it. So the first thing, if you're reading your Bible, you can open it up to, I'm going to actually do this reverse order, which I fear could be confusing, but hang with me. At the beginning in, 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 in chapter 21 is where you have this section that God gives over to the Levites, land. Reading in the second verse of 21, it says, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in. They come to, to Joshua saying, God commanded us to give us these towns to live in with pasture lands for livestock. In this section, I didn't have Wendy read it. It says pasture lands a lot. Lots of pasture lands, which I'm worried I'm going to speak moistly, which would probably not be good. Um, <laughs> pasture lands. Obviously, they have pasture lands. Well, maybe not obviously, but they have pasture lands is because the system of worship is based on sacrifice. It's sacrifice. So that means that they have to have a place where they, they raise goats. They raise lambs for sacrifices. So the Levites need access to this. But the whole point in this section and what I want to emphasize on here is that the Levites did not receive a land like the other tribes did. 
It actually already said that in the last section. I don't remember if we had specifically read it or not, but it's just worth mentioning back in chapter 18, where it says this in verse 7, the Levites, however, did not get a portion among you. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. For both this idea of what Levites get, oh, the Levites don't get land, or this idea of cities of refuge, these are things that were predicted books and books of the Bible before. The first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch, the Torah, which are all this history of Israel. And in it are all these promises that are becoming fulfilled in Joshua. So we might miss out on all of this sort of incredible promise fulfillment work if we don't understand everything happening in Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. But the predicted one that Levites would just receive, um, specifically this call to service is what it is. And so if I read from Numbers, right after uh, the Israel receives um, the Ten Commandments, it says, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you. And your sons and daughters are your perpetual share. What that means is that the people who are, if you're part of the Levite tribe, you get some food along the way through participating in the worship service. God has provided for you, not because you have land, but because you're part of this worship act as a tribe. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for, you, for both you and your offspring. The Lord said to Aaron, which was the priest at that time, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. And so I want to make this point quickly, but I can make it clearly, that what the Levites receive is not less than. That it actually is a parable about how we all are supposed to receive inheritance. It's not about the land, but it's about God. And the truth, like a large blessing, I think about some of the tribes in the past section where some received the most, the largest portions of land, and that perhaps was too much for them. That was more of a distraction for them than an invitation to step in to trust with what God has for them. It's a truth that God is pointing to himself and saying, this is about receiving me. This is the whole point of the land, receiving this life with me. The gift is to find your identity, purpose, and belonging. Not in things, not in actions, but in the saving grace of Jesus. This is what it points to when you see something like this in Scripture, what it points to in saying, what did they actually receive? It wasn't a less than. They actually didn't have any of the distractions at all. They were so close to the worship. And this is, you know, as much as many of us have been blessed, that's what we're actually asked to see, to find our belonging and purpose in God and not in other things because they can be a distraction from what God is ultimately doing. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism is an incredible confession for our church. And it says this, that, I, you know, this is the response to what is your only comfort in life and death, that I am not my own but belong in, with body and soul, both in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Refuge, which is, we'll talk about more in this next point, is, not only is only possible when we rightly relate to God and his gifts. The land becomes undone. Our world is undone. And it is because we have all not rightly related to God and his gifts. So that is the Levite inheritance, which is a specific gift to them. I want to mention it because I want to understand the cues and signs along the way. And then you have these cities of refuge, which are not something I feel like I've ever been an expert on. It almost feels like a little detail snuck in the Bible. I, I, how many of you have ever heard of cities of refuge? 
in Scripture. I see, I see some hands. I see hands here. Um, it's not something that I, I felt like I grew up knowing a lot about. So what are these things? In chapter 20, reading from verse 2, it says this, designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. There's the cue that it's already been told that they were supposed to do this. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee and there and find protection from the avenger of blood. So what it's talking about here is a scenario where someone has accidentally or unintentionally committed manslaughter. Now we have like legal instances for this, but the image is given if you go into numbers is the idea like you're working with your friend in the field, you're hacking away at some some har- you know harvest and wet and, and just uh, just wheat wheat's in front of you, and then all of a sudden the the blade comes off your your, your holder and it, it gets your friend, your friend's side. You didn't mean to hurt your friend, but your friend's dead. It's talking about this unintentional consequence that's happened and. The reason you, you get mentioned the avenger of blood, which sounds really intense, it's because in this world, you must avenge your family. Like what immediately happens, whether it was intentional or not, is pain, evil, and retribution, and revenge. And it's horrible. It destroys families and destroys communities. And so what's interesting is you see woven in this story of the people of promise coming to God and seeking life with him is that God give, is giving instructions for how people can seek justice and seek justice with God's mercy. This avenger of blood is a very strong term. And I, you might think, how often does this happen? But I, I, I remember reading Shakespeare a lot when I was in school. If you read Shakespeare, you see a lot of revenge, <laughs> And even when you see, you know, you see news and stories and even like real violence happening in large cities, it is retribution after retribution that's unending. And Israel as a people set apart from God, he's telling them to say no to this. Reading from verse 4, it says this in chapter 20, when they flee to one of these cities, this is the person fleeing because they accidentally killed someone. They are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. So the elders hear the case of the person who's come to the city, and they say, we hear your case. You did not mean to do this. We will protect you. Joshua indicates in this section of the book that six cities are set apart. They're set up in all parts of the land. So you have one, you know, uh, different sides of the river, north, middle, south. It is accessible to everyone. They are to, and this is what it says in verse 6. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest, which is an interesting note, until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. And here in Joshua, it's abbreviated a little bit, but it gets to the point enough that basically someone can live inside the city of refuge under complete protection after making their case to the elders, but it's almost like they're staying in the city under the protection of the priest. That their priest is actually providing the protection necessary. It is under his, in this case, authority to protect um, this person given the accidental offense that they've done. The key things to note here is this. That injustice demands a right response. I think of the prayer that we, we prayed together, and it speaks to the fact that there is injustice in the world, and we believe in a God who will meet that injustice properly. He will bring it right. 
And it also speaks to this greater theme in Scripture as you read the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, that the world is becoming undone and evil. That when a, a, an evil act happens in the world, it almost curses creation. Like the way it talks about in Genesis 4 when Cain, who is the, the son of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel, is, it's, it's very, it, it is kind of very dark, dark sounding. I'll read it for you. Genesis 4, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It's speaking to the fact that creation is needing healing. Our land needs healing. The works done in our land and around the world need healing. And God will meet it with the right justice. The other point I want to make here is not only that God meets injustice with a right response, but God appoints his people to be part of keeping justice and creation through mercy. That he's asked us to be part of creating refuge. It isn't just, it's an example in scripture, but it speaks to a larger theme that we are meant to be a community set apart to bless others and to provide refuge. Well, how do we do that? How do we relate to this refuge? How do we, we do it? And what does it say about God? That God is just. And the thing that's great about this example here in Joshua 20 is that God, God is just and his justice is for all people. In a story where the land needs to be removed because it's been devoted by destruction, the same land is supposed to be set apart for all people. If you look in verse 9 of chapter 20, Verse 9, it says this, Any of the Israelites of any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. It's pointing to the fact that this one example of how refuge is made possible for Israel as this whole system and country that is not the most functional of governing states, but refuge is possible in this people as it is possible for anyone in their midst. That anyone is around is welcome to participate and is covered in this refuge. Verse 9 talks about it. It, it, it speaks to a larger picture. Most of the time in Scripture, when bio, the Bible talks about other peoples, other nations, other cultures, it is far more inclusive about bringing people into the fold of mercy and blessing. Here's one example is Leviticus 24, 21 through 22. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. That sense of fairness, even though the the judgment language might sound hard to the, the modern ear, that sense of fairness was very uncommon in the ancient world. And yet it is, it is built into the fabric of the covenant. This idea that you actually fairly share the blessings of the community, whether they're part of your people or they're part of someone else's people. It is less of this us-them mentality and much more of we together share in the blessings of God's creation and community, and we are committed to extending that to each other. Next, I want you to hear that all people created have purpose because God has created them, that God loves them. We must treat one another with dignity and respect. And this all points to not only is God just in the way he shares that justice, but he's merciful. You know, I 
I, it's easy to hear all the things happening in the world, whether you're reflecting on Afghanistan, or you're thinking about the history of indigenous people here in Canada, or you're thinking about just the injustice that happens just because of the color of someone's face in any place, in any time. And it's easy to see the wrongs that happen in the world, but it's hard to see how you personally relate to these actions. We're all part of creation. We're all part of a community that's impacted by this. And I think even for myself as a pastor, I had to deal with the fact that I have been blessed with privileges and how I uh, relate and even think about the world because I was given education, that I have these experiences of interacting with different cultures that others don't have. And the more and more I experience them, the more and more I realize how humble I need to be. That the gospel and the good news, it leads me to look back at myself and to realize that I am not perfect and that I am fallen, that I am broken. God's mercy is that he reveals to us, not that you've killed someone, but that we are all being undone in some way or another by evil. You don't have to kill someone to be undone the way scripture talks about this happening in a community or in creation. Try lying and gossiping for a week. Lying and gossiping for a week and watch the destruction that happens to the people around you. The trust that's broken, the relationships that are just undone by that kind of deception. That these lies, these evil, this sin, it takes us away from who we're meant to be. And in a way, and this is kind of how I want to connect us thinking about the cities of refuge in Joshua. In a way, we all have death coming for us because the wages of sin is death. Romans tells us that. The wages of all sin is death, but it is the gift of God that brings us to new life in Christ. It is the gift of God that brings us to new life in Christ. So I, I find myself, as I'm reflecting on this, that at times in Joshua, I've had this tension because it is a story of a people of promise called out to remove people from a land. But this is not always the case. That God's people are not called to be people of conquest, but people of covenant. That means that we're called to be committed to what God is doing in the here and now. And God is calling us to be faithful with our friends, our friends, family and friends. There's my Southern that came out. Anybody like my Southern? Um, And so I found myself explaining to my parents recently, we saw an Every Child Matters flag. They had never heard of the concept or what that means for here. But the notion that every child matters is completely connected to the gospel and the good news and how God's created us and that we all created for purpose, but every life has value, has sacredness. Every life has value and sacredness. And we are to be part of caring and protecting for that life, which is why when we pray together, we look not just for what's happening in the context of these relationships. We look big. We pray big. We see the things happening halfway across the world, and we are not detached from it. We say, no, my God not just loves me, but loves the person trapped in a cave right now. That Christ died for me, and he will deliver people, and he will be refuge for people, even if they were under fire, because he is the comfort and shelter and fortress that will not be undone by any force or nation. We pray and look big, because Our God has given us a refuge that's far beyond like a status you possess. It is a covering of his spirit. It is a covering of what he's doing throughout all creation. In the same stroke, the Lord is merciful 
and how we respond to this. And we must repent when we find ourselves on the wrong side of evil happening in the world because we want no part of it because that's not what Christ is doing in our midst. Because Christ is our refuge. Christ is our refuge. What I mean by that is when you see all this talked about where a a priest basically is the way in which someone can find grace in the midst of accidentally committing someone, they are welcomed into safety and provision. Christ is our safety and provision. He is a living sacrifice, vicariously atoning for our works through his death, providing reconciliation with God, fulfilled through his death. Jesus chooses to become complicit in our sins, no matter what they are or whether you've choose to see them as sins and evil. And if we seek refuge in Jesus, if we seek refuge in him, he becomes our city of refuge. He welcomes us in. There's no place you can run or turn to other than to Jesus to find hope and refuge and healing in the world. A verse that helped me reflect on this was Hebrews 6, 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged that we flee from our past lives to take hope and courage in Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This event of us committing a sin, an offense, or a wrong in creation before God, that event has already happened. In one way or another, we have all participated in that. And the invitation for us is to run to Jesus because he is the priest waiting at the gate for us. The same priest who can guarantee sanctuary and protection through his actual life, he commits himself to becoming complicit in our sins that you can receive the full benefits of God's justice and his mercy. And following his death, you can return to the land without the fear of death over you because he's covered you over with the cross. When you see the cities of refuge and what it talks about, it is helping us to anticipate the larger story of what God's doing. That people could experience refuge from all times and all places and all cultures and nations through Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to lead us in response and worship. And it is because we as God's people who are following Jesus at all different stages in our own unique stories are doing this together to provide healing and protection for a community to make the neighborhood outside safer, to do whatever we can to make the neighborhood where we live safer, to make the world further and further safer and healed. And so then you have to ask, well, how do I do that? How do I actually be a part of bringing refuge? But you cannot bring something to others that you don't first experience yourself. That you must ask, how do I seek refuge in Christ? How was your home And to whatever extent that it was a refuge for you, how was it a place that you encountered Jesus? Was there a room? Was there, what I would say, a thin place that barely separated you from God and the Spirit? Or maybe it's being out in nature. But what are the things in place that allow you to seek refuge with Christ and not in, in distraction culture, media, news, or any other vice you might want to list? 
How do you specifically seek refuge in Christ and not in some other coping mechanism? Because Christ alone is a source of that peace and comfort. And the other thing I would ask all of us as a church in a community, wherever you are, you have to ask, what does it look like to offer refuge to others? Whether it's your neighbor that you never talk to, or whether it's the family member that always feels left out, whether it's the person who comes from a different culture or background, or maybe they used to be part of a different denomination, a different church, or maybe they're wrestling with a different sexuality that they don't know how to process in community with you. In truth, that means being the love of Jesus with them. That means talking with them, walking with them, befriending them, loving them, caring for them. And you all will be far better at doing that if you do it with Jesus. He is the one who allows that love to take place because he is ultimately recreating the whole world. Please pray with me. You don't have to look far, Lord, to see how badly we are in need of you. You see the whole world coming undone and constantly needing help. And you can even, we can even look inside and realize that while we manage to do good things on one day or the next, that apart from you, we can do very little. That we often cause more harm than good. And so we need your mercy and grace to enter into our lives. And we ultimately need to seek refuge in you. We need to be a part of joining together with each other and creating spaces, whether it's our families, our homes, or this church, as safe places for people to live and find life and to encounter your love. So, Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your conviction. And, Lord, we ask you would lead us to repent of whatever we need to repent, that instead of us continuing to do all the same things over and over again, because it's what we've always done over and over again, Instead, we would do everything we can to be part of your will, your plan, your love, that it would lead us by your grace. So help us all to know how to relate to that this morning as we worship because we stand not just on any ground. It is the ground that you have given us on Christ alone, which is our cornerstone, and nothing will shake it, for you are our refuge refuge and strength. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.